It's good to be with you all. Thanks for praying for our little baby and for our family. We sure appreciate being a part of this community. Thank you so much as well for your faithful giving. Um, so I get the privilege of finishing off the series that we've been in this year called This Is Us. And uh, for the past several weeks, we've been talking about the DNA, the culture, the purpose of Evergreen. And uh, many of you, if you've been around here for any length of time, have heard that the purpose of Evergreen, our purpose, our mission, the what, is to help people find Jesus here, near, and far. But then there's the how, right? So you have the what, the purpose, and then there's, well, but how do we do that? So I'm going to test you all on your Evergreen knowledge. Uh, there's something called the 4G network. Uh, I think, isn't there a 5G now? So we're kind of outdated. Um, but the 4G network, and does anyone want to say with me what the first one is? God, gather, group. Give. And then someone was so creative in the last service. They came up to me and they said, if you want to go 5G, um, you could add, when you do those four things, the fifth one will be G for grow. You grow when you God gather, group, and give. So there you go, Jared. We can upgrade to 5G network <laughs> now. I don't know how many of you uh, recognize this, but every organization, every family, every community has values. Whether they know what their values are or not, whether they're explicitly stated or not, you have values. And it doesn't often take someone very long to pick up what an organization or a community or a family's values are. When they're hanging around them, there are certain things that might come forward and you start to catch on really quickly. Oh, that's a value to them. That's something that's important. That's what they hold dear. That's what they prioritize. So, for instance, in my family, uh, one of the values would be truth-telling. My mother is a truth-teller is what we joke about in our family. Moms, I'm just a truth-teller. And so that's kind of become like a motto for our family. They're all laughing, kind of rolling their eyes. Yeah, truth-telling. Well, here at Evergreen, we say it a little more diplomatically. We call it honest communication. <laughs> Can anyone relate to that in their family? Yeah, we're honest communicators, right? So there isn't much in my family that's left unsaid. But the question for you this morning should be, Okay, if I'm part of this place, this community called Evergreen, what are some of the values that we hold? What are some things that we prioritize? And so that's what we've been going over the past several weeks. There's a slide up behind me that lists our nine values. I don't expect you to memorize them. They're not as easy as the 4G network. Um, but you can see some of them up here. If you missed the, the last couple of weeks, you can go online and listen to the podcast that unpacks a large portion of those, as well as a little sheet at Info Central on your way out that you can pick up and look a little closer. And all of these values are wonderful, right? Extravagant generosity, unselfish relevance, joyful celebration. Those are all great things. But there's something that is not on the list. There is something missing, and it actually ties all nine of these values together. And really, Paul says in the scripture that it should unify any list of values. And I'll give you a hint. We just celebrated it on Friday. Love. All over the Bible, right, there's this, this theme of love. That's really the, the entire book from Genesis to Revelation is kind of revealing this, this ultimate love story. And in Colossians 3.14, Paul says, And above all the things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect unity. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians 13 to say, But if we do not love, he's so bold to say that you, that I, that we are nothing. 
If we don't love, we're nothing. And he also says a chapter later in 1 Corinthians 14 to follow the way of love. Always follow the way of love. But in our culture, it's really interesting because love is defined a lot of different ways. And just about all of them are feelings-based. Has anyone noticed that? (laughs) It's all about what I feel. They're subjective. The definitions of love are fleeting. I'll never forget uh, when I was in junior high, and I don't have a good memory, so the fact that I can remember this is pretty impressive and means it's important. Uh, I went to a Catholic junior high called DeSales, and many of you may know Grant Crichton. Um, He was sent out uh, several years back to go plant a church in Walla Walla. He actually was a football coach at that school. So back in the day, I went there for three years, and I remember uh, this, I don't call him an old man, I'll call him a wise sage, came in to our um, assembly. We had an assembly, and he called himself the love doctor, and I thought that was hilarious because he didn't look like he had it going on, if you know what I mean. Like, he was like socks and sandals kind of guy, and I was like, okay, love doctor, let's hear what you have to say. And he was coming to talk to us about, like, what is what is true love in this culture, and he was giving us kind of the sex talk, you know, like abstinence is the way because, you know, giving us all this stuff. But he shared this definition of love that I've never forgotten And it's this, love is choosing the highest good for the other person. Love is choosing the highest good for the other person. And I'm just going to say that's kind of hard-pressed to find when you're in junior high. Just saying, it's kind of all about me. So what's interesting, though, is in our culture, in our world, we don't really understand true love and how to live it out. We focus so much on what we're going to get out of it. We think more about receiving love than giving it. We think love is a feeling instead of an action. We love people the way we want to be loved. I want to challenge that and say, actually, no, don't love people the way you want to be loved. Love people the way they need to be loved. Because that's still selfish. It's still about you when you're loving someone the way you want to be loved. You're supposed to love people the way they need to be loved. And guess what? That's a lot more time-consuming, and it's a lot more uncomfortable. I was just spending time with a dear friend of mine a few days ago, and her and her husband are full-time working parents. So they, they both work, and they have three beautiful children. And she was telling me that they, they started doing respite care for foster kids. And I just looked at her, and I thought, are you great? You have three children, and you both work full-time. Who has time for that? She said, oh, well, we took them for four hours on a Saturday, and there was two three-year-old twins, and one of them was biting my husband's leg. <laughs> and I was just like, sounds great. <laughs> Good for you. But I thought, that's, that's real love. Because what did they get out of that? They're loving people who cannot give them anything in return. That is true love. And I thought to myself, well, where does that kind of motivation come from? Where does that kind of selfless, true love originate? Well, friends, I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from God. And it comes from the cross. And when we ask the question, what is love, we begin to dive in and we come face to face with the reality that there's a better question, and it's who is love? It's not so much what is love as who is love. And in 1 John 4, 19, you probably know this scripture. It says, we love because he first loved us. And I have found this, and maybe you have as well, that love 
can become detached, impersonal, feelings-based when it's a what, which is why we have to bring it back to the who. What the world thinks love is, is broken, it's temporary, and it's transactional. So Jesus displayed love on the cross. I think many of you know that story, right? The ultimate love story, the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus dying on the cross. And I don't want to minimize that this morning, but I actually want us to look at at a couple verses in that story that might help us take it a step further in the way that he loved in his final moments. And many of you will know that that quick little verse where he turns to the thief and he says, you will be with me in paradise, right? But there's another story that may, it may have been overlooked. So we're going to, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 19, verse 25 through 27. And I'm going to set up for you a little bit um, some background before we get here. Because before even Jesus went to the cross, you need to know that he was absolutely exhausted and fatigued from what had happened to him the last 24 hours before that. He was arrested, and they took him through six sham trials. And what I mean by sham is that they were illegal because they happened at night, because they wanted to rush the process through. So there were three Roman trials and three Jewish trials. I'm looking at my sister, who's a lawyer, and I'm thinking, she would, can you imagine doing six trials in one night? No sleep, right? They torture him with the crown of thorns. They beat, they mock, they spit, they pull out his beard. They scored him. If you know what scoring is, they took what something is called the cat of nine tails, and it has nine heads on it. So every time they whipped Jesus' back, there were nine wounds left behind. And they, they did that over and over and over again. And some scholars, some scholars estimate that he had about 287 scores on his back by the time that he even got to the cross. He begins stumbling up the hill, and at the cross, all of his friends had abandoned him, except for the women. I'm just going to leave that there. (laughs) All of his friends had abandoned him, except for the women, and one wonderful gentleman, John. His dear friend, John. And this is where we pick it up. He's limply hanging on the cross. His hands and feet are into the nails or into the wood with the nails, and it says in verse 25, Now standing beside Jesus' cross were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So there's a lot of Marys hanging out at the cross. And it says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, look, here is your son. And then he said to his disciple, John, look, here is your mother. And from that very time, it says the disciple John took her, took Jesus' mother into his own home. So from that time on, John, his disciple who wrote this book, took care of, care of Mary. And she was this widow. Joseph had died a long time before that. And after Jesus died, Mary lived about 12 more years. And as far as we know, John took care of her all 12 of those years because of this statement, because of this exchange. John, I want you to meet your new mom. Mom, here's your new son. Dying, hanging on the cross. And in this one phrase, we learn what it means to love like Jesus. And I want to warn you that what we're talking about this morning, we, you and I, we can't possibly do this in our own power. This kind of love, you can't possibly love like Jesus. You don't have it in you. I don't have it in me without Jesus. You can't love other people the way God does without God's power in you. 
That's why it's so vital that we understand where love comes from. And we have to be connected to that wellspring. We have to be connected to that source. That's why the love of the world is false. That's why it's fake. That's why it's fleeting. Because they're not connected to the source. And, any, and for any of you who are here this morning who haven't hitched your cart to God's, you haven't tethered yourself to that ultimate love, you're going to have an opportunity later this morning to do that. But just in these brief verses in John, we can see in a profound and practical way how Jesus portrays love to the precious ones at his feet. So if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this down. In order to love like Jesus, this is the whole premise of this morning's talk, in order to love like Jesus... We have to recognize that love costs. Love costs. So for Jesus, quite obviously, love costs his life, right? And we'll circle back to that. But there are some other ways that love costs for the average person in this room that doesn't mean death. I don't think very many of us will end up physically giving our lives in this room in the name of love. So one of the ways that we show love, one of the ways that we give love, one of the ways we sacrifice is by giving others our attention. And that's on display right here in this moment that we just read together. Jesus, the first way that we learn to love like Jesus is by disciplining ourselves to pay attention to the people around us. Did you know that attention is actually one of the greatest gifts that you can give someone? You can always get more money, but you can't get more attention. You can't get more time. Your attention is your life. Because when I give you my attention, I'm giving you my time. And what is life but a bunch of time? We don't get more time. We don't get more attention. It's the most important thing that you can give someone. Um, An example I think of, I gave a talk on this probably a couple years ago now, but about technology and our phones and how we're missing it. We are missing it. Dr. Ed Halal, a specialist in ADD, said, we've created a new addiction, and the addiction is to technology. You see people compulsively reaching for their cell phone like it was a pack of cigarettes. Whoa. I just imagine Jesus hanging on the cross in the chaos and the hubbub of the crowd that's going on below him and around him. And what does he do? He locks eyes with his mother. The life is draining out of him. Mary is looking into the eyes of her son as he's slowly slipping away from this world. And in that moment, I believe no one else existed to them. It was Jesus and Mary. Everything else faded into the background. Nobody else in the crowd mattered. And that's attention. That is true attention. Another word for giving attention to someone is actually respect. Respect, Because you see, if you ignore someone, if you, if you aren't acknowledging them in the room or you're just kind of like doing your own thing on your phone and you're not engaged in the conversation, and you aren't paying attention, you're not respecting them. You're not honoring them. I did a little test. I went into uh, Winco on Friday to buy uh, bulk food for my kid's first birthday party because that's what you do. And... Uh, I thought, I, I thought to myself, I'm not going to look at my phone the entire time that I'm in Winco. Like, I'm consciously not going to. I usually have my grocery list on there, you know, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to see what happens. Well, first of all, it's amazing how many people you talk to and make friends with when you're not on your phone while you're pushing the grocery cart. Having a cute one-year-old helps, too. <laughs> but he, so we're sitting in the, you know, he's sitting in the little cart. We're going over here. We go to the bulk food section, and I see this, again, not old 
wise sage couple shuffling to the bulk food section. It's Valentine's Day, right? I realize it's Valentine's Day. And I say to them, happy Valentine's Day. They're so cute. And they looked at me, thank you so much. And I said, how many years have you guys been married? And they said, 62. How many years have you two been married? 63. My in-law, my grandparents-in-law are here. Yeah. Right? So I was like, wow. And they go, yeah, we need help. (laughs) And I said, oh, no. I said, well, that's kind of a problem because I don't know very many people that have been married longer than you that can help you. (laughs) You're kind of the experts now. And they laughed, and they got their little plastic bag, and they filled it up with some cheap chocolate. And I said, oh, buying the nice stuff for her, huh, you know, for Valentine's Day. He goes, we come here every week. This is our week's supply. And I just thought, oh, this is so great. And I just started talking with them and found, found out their names, Edith and George. And uh, they, I found out they have 19 uh, great-grandchildren. And uh, anyways, we just had a lovely conversation. And I thought to myself, I just gave them a lot of my attention. And I think they felt loved. I think they felt seen. I think they felt encouraged. And I thought that was so simple. It was so but it was so great. It was like one of the highlights of my day. That was my like big Valentine's moment. Sorry, hon. You know, that was, that's kind of it. <laughs> we had a heart-shaped pizza from Papa Murphy's, so don't worry. <laughs> Not kidding. <laughs> um, so we show love by paying attention, by paying attention to people, the people right in front of you. Another way that love costs is by sacrificing our preferences. Do you think Jesus preferred to go to the cross? It says pretty clearly in scripture that he didn't. He begged God, God, can there be any other way that, this, that you can save humanity besides through this? The last earthly task that Jesus does when he's dying on the cross is provide for his mom. What does he have to give her, though? Nothing. He has no money, he has no clothes. <laughs> He has no home. All he has is a friend. And so he says to his mother, I have a friend that's going to be your son. And son, and, and mom, I want you two to take care of each other. John, I want you to take care of my mom. And he entrusts his mother to the care of his closest friend. Now, no offense, but how do you think John felt about this? No one asked him. I don't think they had a chat beforehand. Maybe the guy would like to get married and have his own kids. (laughs) But now he's got his dead friend's mom hanging out with him. I mean, really? Do you think that was John's preference? I mean, we'd like to think he was super holy and just for the next 12 years didn't complain at all. I'm sure he loved it, having an old roommate. I don't think so. I don't think that would have been his preference. You want to please God, you take care of the people that God has entrusted to you. And I'm not just talking about your family. I'm talking about your neighbors. I'm talking about your coworkers. I'm talking about your small group. Who has God put in your path? I think about my mom, who has taken care of her widowed father for the last couple of years. And she talks to him every single day. Whether she likes it or not, he calls her every single day. And it's not always a very uplifting conversation. He's a lonely old man. But she talks to him every day, and she makes him tater tot casserole and brings it up to his house, drives an hour and a half to bring him tater tot casserole. 
She goes, Dad, I can teach you how to make it. Nope, nope, you make it best. <laughs> I think, well, that's love, right? I mean, because literally, this is the funny, this is the crazy part of the story. See, my, my grandpa was not a good dad to my mom. He was abusive and alcoholic. But my mom takes care of him because that's love. And love is when you give, when you sacrifice, and you will get nothing in return. My grandpa is poor. He's not going to be leaving my mom any money. <laughs> He's not going to be leaving her a nice house. He's not going to be leaving her a great wardrobe. It's just because that's love. I will not get anything out of this, but this is my duty to you. So I was on a walk the other day. This was Friday. Again, I had a big day Friday. Um, and as I was walking, uh, I met Shane and Amy. And I'm like going along in the stroller. And there's this kid. He's about five years old. So it starts running. Hey, you. I'm like, hi, I'm Shane. What's your name? Hi, I'm Lydia. This is Everett. And he just starts touching my kid's face, like getting under throat. I'm like, okay. Um, we don't know where that's been. Um, and I'm feeling a little, like, violated in my space here. But I'm like, okay, play cool, play cool. Because I see the mom running after him. Shane! <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And, she, and we just get to talking. And she just moved here from New Mexico. They don't know anybody. Husband works at Intel. I get to invi I invited her to come to church. She might be out here. I don't know. Um, and... We just started talking, and I remember thinking as I walked away, my preference was that that kid didn't touch my kid's face, <laughs> right? My preference was he started, like, hitting me with a stick, and I was like, whoa, dude, like, my preference was that he wouldn't hit me with a stick, right? And I was getting a little bit like, this is kind of a weird exchange in the moment, right? And then she starts to tell me, you know, my son uh, has special needs, and I was able to tell her about eKids and, oh, you should come, you know, we're set up to succeed, you know, for help your kids succeed. And I thought to myself, man, I'm really glad I was willing to be interrupted. I'm really glad that I was willing to put aside my preference, which, which was in the moment, like, kid, stop, get off my kid. Because that probably wouldn't have gone over well, right, with mom. Mom would have felt shamed. She would have felt defensive. And I was willing to get uncomfortable. So listen, my preference, I don't know about you all, this could just be me, but my preference is that people would be as thoughtful, self-aware, committed, and organized as I am. That is my preference. But surprisingly, you aren't. <laughs> How crazy. Does that mean I get a free pass? Because you don't fit my preference. You don't talk about the things that I want to talk about. You don't show love the way that I want to be loved. Does that mean I get a free pass? So Romans chapter 12, we're going to read through that together. Uh, there's a group of Gentile and Jewish believers mixed um, together in this church of Rome. And it's, uh, many people say that Romans is kind of the clearest explanation of the gospel anywhere in the New Testament. It's just besides the actual like, journey of the cross, it's just it's an incredible display. Uh, Paul is an incredible um, artists and the way that he weaves together these words. And in Romans 12, there are more instructions in that one chapter than anywhere else in the New Testament. There are 30 instructions in 14 verses. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Well, what is it all about? All of these instructions we're going to read point to how to function and how to relate to one another. So how do we love one another? So pick up in verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. 
Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it, as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Can you just, it's mine to avenge. I just have the sense of, like, God's wrath, right? It's like, yeah, I think I'd rather have God take care of them than me. He'll probably do a better job. And it says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The very first line that we read in verse 9 says, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. What does genuine love look like? Prove it. That's how I know. Do something about it. Show me. There, something that I was just thinking about the other day, and I felt like the Lord said to kind of share with you, is just this one phrase, and it's this, if love cost God, it will cost us. It's so interesting to me that we, we look at Jesus on the cross and we think, wow, I'm so glad that he did that for me so that I, I don't have to experience that. I think we've missed part of the story, friends. The other part of the story is, yes, he did that for you because he loves you, but now you get to go do it for someone else. We miss that part. We miss that part. If love costs God, it should and it will cost us. If it's true love, if it's real love, it will always cost you something. I think about, maybe it's fresh on my mind because we just had the one-year birthday celebration forever, but I think of moms and childbirth and what it costs us to bring forth the wee babes. And I think I, many of us are still recovering, you know, like this, it costs you something. My fav, one of my favorite movies, she says that the mom is yelling at the daughter and she, she yells, I sacrificed my tummy button thighs all to bring you into this world. I uh, like, amen, amen. We sacrifice, we give. True love, it costs us something. Love Costs Everything is a movie that has been uh, put out. I, I, I recommend you check it out. This is a, one of the graphics for it. And you'll actually see the bloody handprint in the top left corner. Um, you can go to lovecosteverything.com and, and read more about it. But this is really a wake-up call because it's a, a film highlighting the persecution of nearly 200 million Christians around the world. 200 million Christians around the world are persecuted on a daily basis. And daily, they risk their lives simply because they believe in Jesus. They could surrender, they could convert, they could quit, but the love of Jesus is worth the sacrifice. Love costs them everything. And it tells the real-life story of Christians standing strong in the face of death through persecution and torture, and while it is severe, the faithful continue to rise, and the church is advancing in many parts of the world. 
because God's people are willing to risk it all in the name of love and say, my preferences don't matter. And this concept, right, it's so foreign to us. I mean, our Western culture, we are so conditioned um, to this idea of just me, and it's all about myself. I think about Anne's talk last week where she mentioned spiritual gifts, and she talked about the potluck metaphor. Instead of coming to church and thinking, what's in it for me today, what if we switched our thinking to what can I bring to church today? What do I have to offer instead of what do they have to offer me? How has God wired each of us individually to come and contribute to the whole rather than receive, receive, consume, consume? What am I going to bring? What do I have to share? How can I lay down my life today? You know, we, we live in a world where we want to do the bare minimum for the maximum credit. I mean, diets, anyone? I want to find the diet that has the bare minimum, and I get the maximum effect, right? If there's a pill, give it to me. Great. I'd rather do that. I don't want to get up and go to Orange Theory at 5 a.m. No, thank you. Sounds terrible. But the most romantic and the most beautiful love stories are not those that are easy, but those that have a fight. Francis Chan wrote a book called Crazy Love, and I, I recommend it. And he asked this question, has your relationship with God changed how you live your life? Has your relationship with God changed how you live your life? And I would go a step further to say, if not, I am going to be so bold as to say that it hasn't cost you anything. If your relationship with God hasn't changed your life, then it hasn't cost you anything. So what we have to recognize is that love is first and foremost about self-denial. The opposite of love is not hate, it's pride. Sin is fundamentally an orientation to self. And to truly know and to experience and to walk out biblical love doesn't require happiness or affinity. It requires selflessness, which is not fun. It's not sexy. That's the foundational framework for understanding Christian love. So Francis Chan asked a question. I want to ask you all a question uh, for you to take home with you. When was the last time a relationship that wasn't within your nuclear family cost you something? When was the last time a relationship that wasn't your intimate family cost you something? Because if it hasn't, you're probably not winning people to Jesus. Ouch, right? I mean, I'm saying that to myself. Ouch, because if it's not costing me anything, then I'm not showing love. Then how are people going to be intrigued to want to know who Jesus is? I speak that to myself, friends. Finally, love costs, our last thing, is it costs our commitment. See, it's a discipline. It's a choice. It's not necessarily natural, but we can learn to do this thing. We can rewire ourselves. We can, with the, the Holy Spirit, with the help of the Lord, we can begin to take love to the ultimate meaning instead of keeping it this, this kind of um, worldly, worldly depth. 
So in the church, uh, we kind of see this sense of individualism and disconnectedness as well. It's not just going on out there. It's happening in here. Uh, many people just kind of date churches. They never stay in one place for very long. And some may stake a claim on a church, but then they kind of remain distant and they're on the margins. They're attending only when something is better isn't going on, like the Super Bowl or whatever. Um, and then there are those who may intend, who may actually have a committed relationship with a church, but they're not all in. They aren't fully known by their community. They don't rely on their church when they're struggling or they're in need. And they just kind of wear masks that cover the pain of their lives. And here's the thing. Being intimately involved in a church means that you have a regular practice and opportunity to practice loving your neighbor. And there's a lot of people who don't want to do that. Because when you say, yep, I'm, I'm going to be part of this body of people over here, you are now opening yourself up to being inconvenienced, ticked off. Anyone? <laughs> I mean, I, and especially if you get involved in a small group. I'm going to actually encourage you to get in a small group, but I'm also going to be honest with you. What happens is you begin to share life with people. When you have real people in your life that know what's going on, you're now responsible to help them. Dang it. Right? I'm now responsible to care for you, to love you. Real, true, you can't, you can't practice love if you aren't in close proximity to people. Can I get an amen? You cannot practice love when you aren't around people. I'm sorry, that's just not how it works, Right? We have to be engaged. We have to make our, make our lives intentional and put ourselves around people to love them. Really interesting and very sad, but I'm going to call my own people group out over here. Pastors. Pastors are some of the worst at this. Pastors, a recent study by Barna Group revealed that only one-third of pastors expressed a strong level of satisfaction with their friendships. We're kind of supposed to be experts at that, like the whole people thing. We're supposed to be pretty good at that. We're supposed to be modeling the way in that. This is how you do life. This is how you share your life. This is what it looks like to lay it down. Here's what it looks like to let people in. And only a third of pastors express a strong level of satisfaction with their friendships. How many of you saw the Target video this week? You know what I'm talking about, the Target men's video. They're hanging out in the parking lot. Yes, they're hanging out in the parking lot. It was four minutes longer. I would have shown it. It is awesome. I highly recommend. There's these guys, and they, they this is a fake video, they meet in the Target parking lot because they realize they've all been sitting in their vans waiting for hours for their, their wives who are shopping in Target. And so this one guy comes over and he knocks on the other window and he goes, hey man, I, I just bought some deep new beef jerky. Do you want to try it? He's like, okay. And then this group was formed of all these dads and husbands who are just sitting in the parking lot. It's hysterical. And I thought, yes, like that is awesome. You just have these group of people. And one of the lines was, yeah, we don't really have much in common. The only thing is our wives, they like to shop the red, the red tag sale. And I just thought, that's so beautiful. Like, that is the church, right? That should be the church. Like, looking for people to connect with, to say, hey, can I help you? Can we do something together? We have to keep love in front of us all the time. And our flesh is so selfish. We're so, we're so self-centered. And I would love to see the church start a war on selfishness. I would love to see the church start a war on selfishness. 
I don't want to live a life where I'm the only person in it. Because we're not called to inreach, we're called to outreach. We're supposed to forget ourselves, to take ourselves off of our minds. And we know that Jesus did this by, we see that in his life with the disciples. People who failed and betrayed him, they were needy and they were selfish. But Jesus stayed. And he followed the way of love and he laid down his life. He gave his commitment, he sacrificed his preferences. For Jesus followers, love is not optional. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So friends, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you're following him, if he's your Lord and Savior, you are dead. Your life has been sacrificed at the altar of your selfishness, of my selfishness, of my preferences, of my picking and choosing what I like in scripture and what I don't. That's all dead. And now we are called to live a life so much greater and so much fuller and so much more beautiful and so much more rich. And that's the life of true love. Romans 12 we read part of it today. This is the beginning verses of it. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. I think of, again, that love costs everything. Offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. We're going to sing um, a song, and we're going to repeat a song that we sang just a little bit called Make Room. And there's some lines in that song uh, that I just love, and one of them is, your way is better. Your way is better. The way of love, your way of love is better. And another part of the song says, here is where I lay it down, every burden, every crown, this is my surrender. So let's take some time um, as we sing that song to just surrender to the Lord the areas in our lives that have not reflected that love and invite him to come in and make us a new creation and go his way of love. Can we do that together? You can stay standing. I'd love to pray with you, God. Thank you that your love is perfect. God, in all the ways that we fail at loving, your spirit comes behind us and you clean up the mess. Thank you for that grace, God. And would you help us, Lord, to love right the first time. Lord, the people in our lives who are hurting, who are selfish, who might just drain the life out of us. God, would you help us to follow the way of love. Lay down our life. I wanna give an opportunity this morning. If you're here with us with all the eyes closed, heads bowed, and you've never said yes to following the way of love, the love of Jesus, and you would like that opportunity this morning to enter in, to experience the adventure with God. Again, with all eyes closed, if you would just lift your head and look at me and raise your hand, I won't call you out. 
just, we want to give you a gift after service. We'd love to connect with you personally, pray with you. If there's anyone at all who just has been following the way of the world and wants to step into following the way of love, I want to give you an opportunity. I don't want to miss that. Today is your day. And let's rejoice together that this is a room full of Jesus followers. And we're going to go make a difference in Hillsboro and our community because, gosh, I mean, what, like 300 Jesus followers in a room, right? We can make a difference. We can go out and we can love. So I hope that you do that this week and that you'll come back next week um, as we talk about the dangerous act of loving your neighbor. Have a good week.